Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome back to The Solo Collective. I'm Rebecca Seal. Today, we have a slightly different episode for you in a good way. I'm really thrilled that Mo Gordat has joined us on The Solo Collective. Many of you might already know Mo Gordat as the host of the Slow Mo podcast or as the author of Soul for Happy. And for those of you that don't, you should know that Mo is quite an extraordinary person. He was the chief business officer for Google X and after quite a phenomenal career in tech, he wrote the book Soul for Happy, which came out in 2017. The subtitle is Engineering Your Path to Joy. And it's really interesting and intriguing because he takes an engineer's approach to everything to do with happiness. But he's also a deep, deep thinker from a philosophical point of view and deeply spiritual as well. And that created just an incredible book and an incredible movement that he has created called One Billion Happy, which is all about making more people happier more of the time and kind of helping us to retrain our brains in the direction of happiness. He's created a new book called Scary Smart, which is about the way that AI might affect humanity in the future and also how happiness is related to that and how happiness might even help us manage AI in the future. So we touch on that, but mainly we're talking about how we manage our emotions because he has got a really interesting perspective on this and he has trained his brain basically, to manage emotions and to tilt himself in the direction of happiness almost all of the time, which I think everybody (laughs) could do with some help with, especially after the last couple of years that we've had. Thanks so much for coming on The Solo Collective, Mo. It's so lovely to have you here. Oh my God, so good to see you again. Anytime, (laughs) anything for Rebecca. So we first met, as it were, on your podcast, yes. um, which you were kind enough to have me on um, when Solo came out. And people loved it and love you. And I think, you know, <laughs> the, the concept's amazing and it's so timely. And yeah. Can we talk about your equation for happiness? And yes, how, we can. How it might relate to people who work by themselves? Because I think what I was really taken with in terms of that idea was basically when you're on your own a lot, it's very easy to get into a spiral, right? Or a tunnel, however you want to describe it. And I'm sure you've experienced this in the process of writing your books and, you know, being alone in that process. And I think sometimes happiness can feel like a very unreachable idea, even. Um, Like, when you're, when you are maybe feeling isolated, whether you are isolated or not is a whole other question. But, um, but when you, when you feel alone, even contemplating what might make you happy or how to think about happiness can feel quite challenging. 
Um, and I liked the simplicity because you're an engineer. I loved the simplicity. It's very, it's highly creative, but it's very, very simple, your, your kind of equation for happiness. So can you explain it in a way that might relate to people who spend a lot of time by themselves in their own heads, <laughs> as we solo workers do? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the key word is that last sentence, in our own heads, right? So, so happiness is actually so predictable. It is so predictable that it does follow an equation. And I, I, I don't say that to brag, but you know, if I, if I give myself the right to teach happiness, then my aim is to be sort of the Olympic champion of the sport, right? <laughs> and, and, and it is, it is true. I practice, I practice, I practice all the time. Huh? Yeah. And, and I, I'd be lying if I tell you, I don't feel unhappy. Everyone does. Hmm? And all of my wisest friends will tell you, I mean, I was talking to Matthew Ricard, who's known to be the world happiest man. And I said, so Matthew, you're the world happiest man. You don't feel unhappy. And he laughed in his French accent and said, oh, are you kidding? I'm always pissed off, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and the truth is, yes, unhappiness is a survival mechanism. The trick is, how do you come back to happiness from the state of unhappiness? And that takes basically a, a, a deep understanding of what happiness and unhappiness are. So let me, let me take you through it quickly, huh? The easiest way is for you to run an experiment on yourself. Write down all of the moments in your life that you can remember where you felt happy. Okay, I call that the happy list. By the way, it's an, a very important exercise because, you know, if you're looking for happiness, you might as well know, actually see on a, on a journal what makes you happy. Now, with the happy list, you'll find things like, I feel happy when my daughter smiles or I feel happy when I have a good cup of coffee. My, my coffee today is really bad, actually. But, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> when, I, when, I ha when I have a good cup of coffee or I feel happy when I meet Rebecca again, okay? And, and so you have to start asking yourself as an engineer, is there a trend line here? Is, is the machine of happiness producing something predictably? And yes, it is. Hmm? Interestingly, no single event in your life has ever made you happy or unhappy. Hmm? Rain has no inherent value of happiness in it. Loneliness doesn't have an inherent value of happiness in it. Let's just take those two examples. Rain makes you happy when you want to water your plants or when your ex-boyfriend is getting married. Right? You, you really get very happy about rain. Hmm? Uh, and if, if you're getting married or if, you're, uh, if, you, if you want to sunbathe, then may, rain makes you very unhappy. Rain in itself as an event has no value. Okay, uh, that what happens is that you get happy hmm, when rain meets your expectations of what life should be and you get unhappy when rain misses your expectations of how life should be. Okay, so put that in an equation, your happiness becomes equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. When you know that, you start to realize that 99% of your happiness is in your head. Okay, it has nothing to do with the events of life. It has nothing to do with the events of life. And just like, you know, you go to work in the morning, let's say you have an argument with your partner on, uh, on Sunday night and, you know, all of Monday morning when you're on your commute, you're thinking about nothing but what he or she said. And then you show up at work and your boss says, um, give me uh, the report that I, uh, that I needed, I, I asked for on, on Friday. And what do you do? You tell your brain, that's it, brain. We're not going to do this anymore. We're going to think about the problem and, you know, curse our partner on, at lunch break. But from now until lunch break, we're going to focus on work. And what does your brain do? It listens. It does exactly what you tell it. Now, we're capable of doing that. And yet, when it comes to unhappiness, what do we do? 
Hmm? We become unhappy and then we start to dwell on it and dwell on it and dwell on it. You know, he says something hurtful on Sunday. You wake up Monday morning and you go like, "Mm, remember that clip from 4 p.m. yesterday? Play that again, play that again and torture me. Yeah, it's it's like the Netflix of unhappiness, right? It's, it's literally, honestly, and, and, no, and you're when, right. yeah, and when we're alone, okay, and we have time, we go like, mm, let's play it on repeat, right? I don't even have to click on it again. Just play it on repeat. No, no, you know what? Let me be creative. He said something hurtful because he doesn't love me anymore. Uh, and then you should just add to it. Yeah, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life alone. And and you can simply create a beautiful Netflix documentary of your misery, okay, with one trigger that happened at 4 p.m. and ended, okay? Now, the reason we do that is because unhappiness is a survival mechanism, Okay. When events miss expectations in the happiness equation, your brain jumps in and says, that's not good. I don't want this. I want a safe and and prosperous environment for you. So let me alert you in the form of an emotion. When you do nothing about it, your friend, your very good friend, your brain goes like, hey, did you hear me, by the way? I I just said that he said something hurtful on Wednesday. Did you, or on Friday, did you, did you hear that? And when you do nothing about it, your brain goes like, hey, uh, by the way, we're all going to die. Are you listening to me? Right. And that's what your brain does. So how do you handle that? Yeah. How? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) When, when, When we're alone, as I said, thoughts become rampant. Okay, so I'll give you two tips, uh, uh, two different techniques to to work on this. One of them is, by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with thought. Okay, there is a lot wrong with negative thought. Positive thought is amazing. Do we agree with that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if if your if your partner said something hurtful on Friday at four p.m. and he bought you flowers at three fifty-eight, okay, thinking about the flowers at three fifty-eight over and over is not a bad thing. Okay, uh, now, so how do we do that? I follow what I call the happiness flow chart. And the happiness flow chart is very straightforward. It, it has an emotional bit and a thinking bit. The emotional bit is first acknowledge the emotion. Okay, first, you know, if you, if you feel unhappy about something, hmm, acknowledge the emotion. Say, ooh, what is this? I'm, I'm worried. Oh, I love that feeling. Oh, no, I, I actually embrace the emotion. Hmm? What is that feeling? Feel it completely. There's nothing wrong with feeling, by the way. It's the only time when we feel alive. Embrace it for yourself and acknowledge it. When you acknowledge it, find the thought that triggered it, not the event that triggered it. Your brain lies. Okay? So your partner will say, can I please not talk about this right now? Okay? That is the event. The event is he said, let's not talk now. Or she said, let's not talk now. Okay? The thought is, he doesn't love me anymore. That's a very different thought than the actual event, right? Find that thought, find that seed of poison, right? Once you found it, it's checkmate. Once you found it, we go to the other side of the, uh, of the flow chart, which is the thinking bit, and we ask three questions. Question number one is, is this true, brain? Is this true? What you told me, he doesn't love me anymore. Is that true? Do you have evidence of that? Is there evidence against it? Is there something that we have not uh, considered? Can we, you know, uh, uh, can we look at the data and verify? If the thought isn't true, drop it. And that's it. If it is true, question number two is very straightforward. What can I do about it? What am I going to do about it? If there is something you can do about it, do it. Okay. If there isn't, then we get into what I call the Jedi master level of the flow chart. 
And the Jedi Master level is very straightforward. There are things in life that we cannot change. Okay? But we can change the rest of life around it. I call that committed acceptance. I guess when we're talking about that in the context of work, you your committed acceptance is to things like um I didn't get that I didn't get that pitch um or my book proposal didn't get picked up um you know those so you can ask those questions yeah let's take that okay I'm working from home I made a a, a pitch for a deal and you know the, I worked on it for a month and then they sent me a, a cold uh, hearted email saying thank you for your time we're not going to be moving forward great great okay the first thing that will happen is you'll feel you know off balance you'll feel negative acknowledge the emotion okay oh i feel horrible about this you know when you acknowledge the emotion that means you don't need to have that other conference call now you can actually ask to to change it a little bit and say can we talk tomorrow i'm so sorry i'm not in the best mood today okay and then Find what your brain is telling you. Is, is your brain telling you we've lost the pitch? Or is it telling you you're not worthy? Or is it telling you your product is, not, is never going to sell? Or is, is it telling you, oh, this is doomsday. It's the end of our life. We shall never eat again. Yeah, that's what my brain would be saying. That's my brain. My brain in, it would be <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah, right? you're terrible at this. I don't know why you ever thought you could do it in the first place. Obviously, they've said no. You know, they're right to say no, because you're incompetent. There's no way that you could do this. Like, I've got coping strategies for all of those things. But that is at rock bottom, the the thing that happens when, you know, some like a book proposal doesn't get picked up. Let's take that. Is that true? No. Is that true? When, you, when your brain tells you you're really horrible at this, can you go back to your brain and say, but how did we win the other pitch the other mm -hmm. day? Mm, okay, how many pitches do uh, you know? Do, do, did we lose versus how many did we win? And what's the average of the industry? Okay, uh, can you ask your brain and say, "Hold on, hold on, they actually cancelled the event, right?" Or "Hold on, hold on, they actually didn't have the resources," or whatever. There could be many other reasons than I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Now, if if let's just continue on that thought. If if you can prove to your brain that, hold on, brain, I'm not terrible at it. Just don't hijack my life. Then it's only wise to say, and why are we spending time in that thought? Let's just, you know, go and have a party and have a coffee and life will go on and there will be tomorrow. That's number one. Now, if, if you actually are terrible at it, hmm, can you do something about that? Can you, go, can you go take a course? Can you, uh, you know, uh, um, um, ask the, the customer why is it that this didn't happen? Can you uh, sit with, you know, partner with a friend who's good at it? Okay. It's very straightforward. Huh? Can you do something about it? If there is something you can do about it, do it. Right. One thing you can do about it is to sit in a corner and cry. You're still going to lose the deal and the next deal and the following deal. Do something about it. Right. And the third is, what if, if you can't do anything about it? Like, can we just say, look, I'm not the best at, uh, you know, at selling, okay? And uh, for that, I'm going to dedicate more of my time to creating, okay? And uh, as I create, others will sell me. So I'm going to partner with three agencies. Or by the way, I'm not good at selling speaking engagements, for example. Hmm? So I'm going, but I'm really good at selling books, so I'm going to focus on creating books going forward, okay? So I accept the fact and I do something that doesn't fix that fact that I still am not getting those pitches, okay? But I'm doing something else now and my life is much better because of that. 
and you can apply that to anything. Hmm? You can apply that to lockdown. You can apply that to, to, to relationships. You can apply that to walking to uh, Sainsbury's and finding that your berries are not no longer in stock, whatever it is, okay? It's very straightforward. And most of the time, Rebecca, this is the interesting thing. Most of the time, believe it or not, there's no reason to be unhappy. There really isn't. Life is good. There is so much to enjoy in life, and yet our brains focus on the deal that's that's missed, right? So you're essentially retraining the brain to default to something close to happiness. Totally. Yeah. And it and and this is how the way it works, huh? By the way, huh, uh, one of the things I repeat repeatedly, in especially in the United Kingdom, and I say that with love and respect, huh? Uh, so so. Neuroplasticity is what shapes our ability to deal with life, okay? Neuroplasticity for your brain is like going to the gym for your muscles, okay? If you go to the gym repeatedly and lift weights, you're going to look like a triangle, okay? If you go, if you go to the gym repeatedly and squat, you're going to look like a pair. It's visible and it works, okay? If you train your brain to constantly watch negative news and the prime minister, uh, you know, arguing with uh, this person and this person doing that and you know how it is. Huh? And, and if you constantly are looking for what's wrong in life, you're, going, you're constantly going to find it. But the, the weird thing is with neuroplasticity, you're going to become a lot better at finding it. It's going to become your skill. Okay. And so everything around you, because everything in life has a bit of negative, becomes negative. Okay. If you do the opposite like I do, I don't watch horror movies. I don't watch scary movies. I don't watch, you know, violent movies. I, I don't engage in things I cannot affect. So what am I training my brain to do? I'm training my brain to focus on positivity. Mm -hmm. Okay. I watch a Michael McIntyre every day before I sleep. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's life advice <laughs> for brain particular totally. sort. That's totally, and, and, and he's wonderful. And I laugh my head off, even if as I watch it for the third time. Okay. And... You know, he doesn't use rude words like other comedians. He's not, you know, vulgar. He's not violent. He doesn't make fun of anyone else. And I love it. And it's positive. And I haven't had a nightmare for 15 years. Yeah, well, that, that makes perfect sense. Trained brain. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I do a certain a, a similar thing. I wonder what you think about gratitude training because I oh totally I was very struck back in the summer. My um, my bike was stolen and my husband's bike was stolen from where we were camping. Oh man, did you have to walk back? <laughs> yeah, fortunately <laughs> not. And you know it was it was unpleasant and distressing, but it was it struck me that both of us said after it happened, 
not not just it could have been worse, but specifically, like, wow, it's really lucky they didn't take our computers and they didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's really lucky they didn't go into the tent and take, like, that really lovely piece of jewellery that I gave you that I stupidly left in the tent. And FYI, everybody, don't leave your stuff in a tent. It's stupid. But it was really interesting because I think that that directly relates to the fact that every night we at bedtime we say to each other three things for which we're grateful um and we've oh, been doing so it for like a decade now probably i think it's had a profound neuroplasticity effect like it's a rewiring totally. exercise um and it's totally. it's trained me to look at things with completely different perspective which i find i find really fascinating and i know i know there's there's complications around ideas around gratitude and i and i wouldn't mind just quickly touching on this with you because i think it's similar to what the questions around it are similar to questions which i'm sure you've been asked before like there's a danger isn't there with gratitude that it kind of fixes you in one place like and there's maybe is there maybe a danger as well with what you're talking about that people misinterpret it perhaps to think that it's about lowering expectations instead of committed acceptance which i'm i'm believe i'm right in understanding is something different do you know what i mean absolutely absolutely crap absolute crap okay (laughs) I, I, I'm sorry to say this. I mean, I, I respect the people that have this opinion. We have been trained from the days of school and when we were kids to be motivated by the negative. Right. Right. Now, this is number one. This is the biggest crap in the Western world ever hmm? that we uh, uh, we have to be fed or kicked by a negative to be able to move. Hmm? We should be motivated by the positive. That's number one. Number two is understand how gratitude works. In the happiness equation, events minus expectations, right? Gratitude doesn't remind your brain only that events are meeting expectations. It's reminding your brain that events are beating expectations so much that you have the right to be grateful. Now, the process of gratitude is even more powerful because if you force yourself and your husband Hmm? to look for three things that you're grateful for every night, what are you doing? You're going to the gym that's looking for the positives every night for a few minutes, okay? It's like a fabulous meditation where you train your brain to look at the day and see what's positive, okay? When you do that, your brain becomes better and better at seeing what's good. And when your brain is better at seeing what's good, what ends up happening is that you look at everything in life and see what is good. Oh, it's such powerful stuff. And then thinking about contract workers versus solitary workers, solo workers, do you think um, that we're kind of more at risk of needing oh, yeah. resilience? <laughs> like, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and I guess also having the capacity to manage our, our disappointment, manage our expectations, all of that stuff. It's like it's a framework that we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think there are three main differences when you're alone. One is that you're you're with your brain quite a lot more often, okay? So you really need better skills at managing your brain. And and we spoke about that earlier. But the second is that we are humans. We need cuddle, we need touch, we need contact. I need to look you in the eyes. I need to sometimes feel your presence near me, okay? And in, and in my personal view, I definitely think that if you're a solo worker, your social life needs to be planned like work, okay? Your ability to connect with others, hmm? Uh, needs to be plugged into your calendar, hmm? plugged into your calendar with objectives such as I'm going to meet Sarah and she's going to hug me. Okay. And I, I, I say that don't, so, so there, and I, again, not all the, all people are the same, hmm? but most people don't realize as they dwindle, 
Mm? Uh, th- there are certain human connections that uh, uh, that feed our soul. Mm? You, like a flower, huh? You need you need to be uh, um, you need to be uh, given love and touch and attention mm? uh, to be able to um, actually survive. So plan those. Mm? I plan. I plan my time to talk to my daughter in my calendar, and if you know uh, uh, the, the the master of the universe asks to take that time, I'll ask her first. Okay, I plan I plan my uh, my uh, time with my friends. I plan you know I I take care of my you know relationships and how I can you know expand some of them. I actually plug time even though I'm going on a on a book tour and it's very important. I plug time for my love life and where is this going and am I going to find the person I'm looking for? All of these things are important and they require you to plan them and plug them into your calendar and treat them like real work. Number two. Number three is, as a solo worker, hmm, you tend to exhaust yourself too much because you don't have boundaries. You don't know where the work starts, okay? And you don't know where the work ends. You don't know if the amount of work you gave today actually delivers or not. And you speak about this very clearly, Rebecca, in, uh, in solo, is the idea of creating that boundary of what is it? It's not what I am capable of delivering in a day. It's what I need to, to deliver in that day. And then the rest is self-love, okay? So, so other than, you know, community, which was the second point, your relationship with yourself is a lot more complicated when you're alone most of the time, okay? So how much of your day is dedicated to, you know, battling it out to get to, to success and how much of it is, is re- related to uh, rejuvenating your own life so that you can actually are stay fit to 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 battle another yeah oh such a good point (laughs) one that we need reminding of all the time all the time and it and by the way my self-love also goes in my agenda believe it or not okay so so my meditation time my workout time my uh, reflection time uh, you know my good healthy food time Okay, I, so so that I don't keep ordering in crap that kills me, and and so on, right? They need to get into your agenda, and if anything overlaps on them, you should simply say no, not for me. I'm going to do this better. You've used a lot of concepts throughout all your books, really, that come from lots of different philosophies and lots of different religions and ways of thinking. Yes, I'm guessing that was a conscious choice. Does it kind of work of really well um, for you in terms of kind of? Do you think you've kind of created a new philosophy out of all of them? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't want to take any of. So let me be very clear that the the science of happiness and compassion and the science of well-being, the science of being, okay, is nothing new. Uh, uh, You know, there is not much that has changed about us, the human species, in the last you know ten thousand years. So basically, what worked ten thousand years ago would probably still work today. The problem is most of religion and most of spiritual teachings are written in a language that the typical modern day warrior doesn't understand, okay? Uh, You know, I I struggled with that myself when I was unhappy in my early uh, 30s and late 20s. I couldn't find, you know, when someone told told me, say, om, I was like, what om? What are you talking about? Like, please, can you please leave, right? And I still don't say om, by the way, but at least I meditate very regularly because now I understand how the machine works, okay? Now, when you uh, when when you translate those concepts into what i believe is the is the modern day language an engineering solid 
you know, almost hand manual kind of uh, of text, a lot of people come in from their from their brains and eventually reach reach their hearts. Okay, and that really is my work. My work is to take concepts that are either so too comprehensive and too complex and put them together in a way that brings them together properly, or take concepts that are from uh, variable, uh, uh, you know, from different spirituality and religion and engineering. And I mean, uh, in, in Solve for Happy, for example, I discuss death, not and what happens after death from the point of view of quantum physics, uh, the, uh, you know, the Big Bang theory and the theory of relativity. If you, if you combine those and look at life and death, you can see a very, very evident and very clear view. Now, I think most people who have given up on religion are giving up on the rotten parts of religion. And, and you know, if I give you a basket of oranges that have 11 or, uh, rotten oranges and one good one, you know, most people will throw the basket away and that's what people did hmm? with religion. I keep the good one. And every religion has a beautiful core in it, beautiful core hmm? that's actually gold. And why would I give that away? Why, why would I throw that away? Hmm? I just drop all of the crap and, and, and stick to the gold. Hmm? And I'm not saying people should be religious, but there is knowledge there. Hmm? There is wisdom in spiritual teachings. There is wisdom in stoicism and, and, and so on and so forth. And can we get all of those together? Having said that, yes, there are a few interesting concepts that are mine and mine alone. But, you know, in Solve for Happy, I'd probably say maybe 11 concepts of the 50, 80 aha moments that you will get would be would be mine and mine alone. And, you know, and in my future works, which are actually finished and ready to go as well, we'll always find a few interesting gold nuggets, but not, you know, it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not an ego competition. All I, I need to do is to deliver benefit to, to the reader. So I actually didn't know that you were writing Scary Smart, or I knew that you were writing another book because I had, you had told me that, but I didn't know that, I didn't know what mm -hmm. the subject matter was. They're, they're one and the same, believe it or not. I mean, Scary Smart may appear at the outset to be a book about artificial intelligence, but, you know, the deeper you delve in it, the more you realize it's really about humanity and what it's like to be human, really. Yeah, yeah, which essentially is very much what all of this stuff is about. Like, all the solo working stuff is also about that. Like, what does it mean to be human? How do we build our lives in ways that allow us to be the best human versions of ourselves that we can be? I, I struggle, huh? I struggle because I don't, I don't believe in doom and gloom. I don't believe uh, in, you know, in the idea of scaring people into action. But I have to admit, from my point of view as an insider, chief business officer of Google X, working mm. on technology for the last thirty years of my life, uh, there is a lot that the normal, you know, day-to-day -day person, lawyer, you know, um, finance professional. Um, whatever is is not aware of and and ai needs to be out there i i say sometimes i openly say it's not covid-19 that's the pandemic of our time uh, the true pandemic is artificial intelligence and and yet we don't talk about it at all so the first bit has to be a little scary but it is the truth you have to know that and then we we go into the good part the second part of the book which is hopefully uh, a story of hope rather than a story of fear yeah so what what moves do we need to make individually? We, we need to we need to talk need about to happiness. That's the truth. Yeah, I mean, right. I think the idea here is to say uh, to people that uh, we are now faced with a new sentient being that is a, that is in its infancy. Okay, and unlike what humanity has always done, which is to attempt to control everything, 
Mm-hmm. We don't want to control this new child because when if we try to control it, uh, when it becomes a teenager, it's going to be really angry. We don't want that. Okay. So the only way, in my view, to actually build a future where AI wants our our benefit and well being, is to create a world where uh, where we treat them as children and instill the right value systems in them. Right. Because if we are good, our children will become good. And so I research in a chapter that I call the future of ethics. What has humanity ever agreed from an ethical point of view? Okay, and you'll be surprised. We've never agreed anything. You know, (laughs) yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, we we haven't agreed anything. The only three values I found that all of humanity, whether you're in some tribe in Africa or you're the CEO of, of, of Tesla, uh, you know, the only three values that we all agree are the following. We all want to be happy. We all have the compassion in us to make others that we care about happy. Of course, some of us ex- expand that net to include all of being as, you know, others that we care about, but some will just care about their sister and, and younger brother. Right. But if we care about someone, we all have the compassion to want to make them happy and safe. And then the third value is we all want to love and be loved. Okay, these these are the only three values that humanity has ever agreed on. But these are amazing values, amazing values. And and if we can show those as what humanity is all about. okay, then our children will actually think that this is what humanity is all about. And our children, which are the artificially intelligent children, will grow up to believe in the same values. That's brilliant. Thank you, Mo. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I really love the conversation. So I hope we meet again soon. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I would love that. Well, that was full of big ideas, wasn't it? (laughs) How to sum up the thinking of someone like Mo Gordat. What a privilege to have a conversation like that. I think it's valuable for soloists because we are just much more vulnerable in many ways to not experiencing happiness and to experiencing all of the other (laughs) non-happy emotions that there are. And as Mo said, that we're so much in our own heads so much of the time because we're on our own. So I think his unique perspective is valuable and I am certainly going to try and adopt the concepts that he's suggesting in terms of retraining our brain and accepting that we have a degree of neuroplasticity that allows us to change how we experience happiness. Mo Gordat's new book, Scary Smart, is now available for pre-orders. Pre-order your copy from Amazon and send an email titled The Solo Collective with a screenshot of your order confirmation to win at mogordut.com. Mo will pick 50 winners over the course of the next few weeks who will all win a signed copy of the limited edition pre-release. It gets even better. If you can come to London, you may even win an invitation to spend an evening with Mo on the 27th of September and a small group of three other readers as he buys dinner for everyone in London. You need to get in quick, though, because the draw is happening really soon. Spread the word and tell others to pre-order it, too. I think it will blow your mind. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Solo Collective. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have anything you would like covered, let us know by leaving us a review or you can message us at The Solo Collective on Instagram. You have been listening to The Solo Collective with me, Rebecca Seal a chalk and blade original. 
produced by Laura Hyde with support from Fatuma Kaira, original music by Dee Plume and engineering by Matt Nielsen. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Chalk and Blade.